we are going through Philippians, as I mentioned, and our, our general theme for Philippians is the fellowship of the gospel. And we, we took that as our theme because Paul is in a partnership with the Philippians to further the gospel. You see, Paul was the founder of this church in Philippi. Philippi was a, a city in what we know today as Greece. And uh, Paul had come there and preached the gospel and people had received Christ and a church was established. And they were so thankful for the mission and the ministry of Paul. They were so thankful that the gospel had come to them and transformed their lives that they wanted to see this happen with other people in other cities throughout the world. And so they partnered with the apostle Paul. They supported him financially. They sent him out, if you will, to continue the gospel ministry. And so they were in fellowship, um, the fellowship of the gospel. Now the gospel, many of you know this, but for those of you that might not know it, the, the word gospel means the good news. And so this is the news that came to the Philippians. This was the news that Paul would spread throughout the world. This is the news that comes down to us today. The good news is that God has made a way for us to be reconciled to him, to be brought back into a relationship with him. You see, in the beginning, when God created humanity, he created uh, us people, he created us to know him and to live in communion with him. But sin entered into the picture and broke the fellowship with God, but God made a way to mend that. And he did that by sending his son, Jesus Christ, into the world who took the, uh, the punishment for our sin upon himself, paid a debt that we couldn't pay and provided a way for us to come back into this relationship with God. So as we receive Christ, then we are reconciled to God. We're brought into that relationship with him. We're actually made uh, the citizens. <coughs> Excuse me. We're made uh, the citizens of heaven. And so we're gonna come back around to that as we wrap up our teaching today, but just to, just to whet your appetite uh, for the gospel there. But what we want to consider today is specifically what Paul says about our citizenship being in heaven. But just to, to get ourselves in the, um, the setting here, in the previous verses, Paul has been talking about the fact that um, he hasn't yet been perfected. He hasn't fully attained um, what, what Christ had apprehended him for. And we understood from a previous study that um, this resurrection out from the dead, uh, Paul's talking about this life, this, this life that has this, uh, the quality of the spirit. And it's, it's a life where we are growing more and more into the likeness of Christ. And Paul says that he himself had not already attained to that, but regardless of where he was at, he was gonna keep pressing toward that. He's pressing toward the, the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so that's the, that's the background. And now Paul says in verse 17, he says, brothers and sisters, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So Paul says, follow, follow me in this. Uh, wherever you're at in your walk or relationship with the Lord, follow me in my example of forgetting the things that are behind and pressing toward the things that are ahead. So Paul, as he does in other places, he, he sets himself forth as uh, an example to be followed. Now, interestingly, some people have thought that that was maybe a too bold of a thing. And, and some have even suggested, well, Paul didn't really say, follow me. He, he was saying, well, uh, imitate me as much as I try to imitate Christ. And, and for some people, it just seems like a, a little too much for a person to say, follow my example. But we know that Paul is saying, follow my example because he said it in other places. And, and you see, the reality is 
those who have walked with Jesus, those who have followed him for some time ought to be able to say to others, especially to those who are younger and immature and maybe just getting started in their faith, uh, ought to be able to say to others, hey, follow my example. Follow my example in seeking the Lord. So um, as a matter of fact, Paul would write to uh, Timothy, who was his young uh, understudy, if you will. And, and Paul would say to Timothy, Timothy, be an example um, to the believers. And so uh, being an example is something that we who are uh, strong in the faith were to be conscious of that, that other people are watching and we want to be a good example. And so Paul calls them to follow his example to follow the pattern that could be seen in his life and the life of others. And, but then he says this, he says, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. So if we go back to the first uh, part of the third chapter, there Paul brings up the fact that there were these false teachers that would come in and they would try to lead people astray. So he's coming back around to um, referring to them once again here. But he uses very strong language. He refers to them as the enemies of the cross of Christ. And notice he's, he's really making a contrast between himself and those other faithful ministers and these that he's speaking about now who he refers to as the enemies of the cross of Christ. And notice what he says about these. He says that their end is destruction. And then he says, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. So it, this is hard to think about, but it, but it is true that uh, as it was back in Paul's time and in, as, as it still is today, unfortunately, there are people who are in the church. There are people who are perhaps in positions of power in certain churches or denominations. There are, are people uh, stationed in seminaries and so forth who in reality, although they are claiming in a sense to be the representatives of Christ, are, are actually the enemies of the cross. And, and those, those are heavy things to think about, but they are a reality. And Paul says three things mark them. Number one, their God is their belly. That sounds like a strange thing. What, what does that mean? Your God is your belly. And well, the, the picture is a person whose uh, life is consumed by their lower uh, appetites, um, their lust and their cravings. Uh, this is what these people are really living for. Their, their God is not the true God who calls us to deny ourselves, pick up the cross and follow Jesus. Uh, but, but their God is one who um, encourages them to indulge themselves. So their God is their belly. And then he says, their glory is in their shame. What does that mean? Well, what he's really saying is that their glory or their boasting is in the very things that they ought to be ashamed of. So the things that are actually shameful that they're doing that are uh, inconsistent with the profession of Christ, they're, they're proud of that. And Paul says, this is a way that you can identify them. They're proud of the things that they should uh, be ashamed of. They're boasting in their sin. And then the third thing he says is that they set their mind on earthly things. And that's the key. They set their mind on earthly things. Paul, in writing to the Colossians, he says, um, set your mind on the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. You see, as the people of God, even though we live here on the earth, our, our heart, our affection, our devotions, our commitment is not to be to earthly things, but our, our commitment is to be to heaven and to the Lord of heaven and to the agenda of heaven. And so these that he labels as the enemies of the cross are those whose agenda is an earthbound agenda. And just as that was the case in Paul's day, 
uh, we still have that same situation today. As I said, there are people who are in positions of power whose agenda is really one that is more consistent with the agenda of a Christ-rejecting world than with the agenda that we have given to us in the gospel. And so, again, Paul says, um, follow my example and those with me. We've set a pattern for you as opposed to those who are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And then he goes on and he says, for our citizenship is in heaven. And so we want to talk about that for a moment. Our citizenship is in heaven. Now, this would be something that the, the Philippians would really um, identify with. This would resonate powerfully with the Philippians. Remember, Philippi was a Roman colony. And you see, a colony would be, um, it, it would basically be Rome in a, in a different location. So, you know, there have been times in history where nations have built empires and through their empires, they've created colonies. And, and what they've sought to do is just take um, the motherland, so to speak, and, and transport it to a different location. So even though geographically it's distanced, culturally it's identical. And, you know, even some people today uh, have grown up in countries that were formerly colonies. Maybe now they're part of a commonwealth or something. And, and you find when you go into these cultures, you find that there are all these interesting um, and some, sometimes idiosyncratic similarities. And, um, you know, they're very much remind you. I, I have a friend um, who grew up in uh, Rhodesia. And I remember when we first met uh, years ago in South Africa. And I remember, um, although his accent was South African and not English, uh, so much of, of his mannerisms and his outlook and, and all of that, they, they just reminded me so much of people that I knew back in England. And then he told me that later on, he went for the very first time in his life, he went to visit England. And he was saying how when he, when he got to England, he was so shocked how similar England was to Rhodesia where he had grown up. And of course, the funny thing was, it was not that England was similar to Rhodesia, it was Rhodesia was similar to England because they had colonized it. And so for the Philippians, the Philippians, although they, they lived in Greece, it, you wouldn't know it. You would think you actually lived in Rome um, because of that colonization. So when Paul says to the Philippians, uh, our citizenship is in heaven, that, that, very, that very term citizenship would, would strike a chord with them. They, they would understand that. And what they would understand by that is even though we are living in a different location, this is not really our home. And this is not really where our hearts are. So in contrast to those who set their mind on earthly things, true believers focus on glory in and live out their heavenly citizenship here on earth. You see, the Bible teaches that for Christians, life is a pilgrimage. So we are uh, pilgrims and strangers here on the earth. That's something that uh, the apostle Peter said. Uh, believers are sojourners. A sojourner is a, is a temporary resident. A sojourner is a person who is, is passing through a place uh, but they're on their way somewhere else. Their true home is not in that location and it's their true home that they uh, would long to um, ultimately be at. And so <coughs> their, <coughs> uh, their, their affections, um, even though they might be in one place, their affections lie in another place. And uh, perhaps you can identify with this fully because 
maybe you live in a, a particular place, but it's not really your home. It's not your native land. And even though you've perhaps even decided to, to settle there, yet you, you think back with fondness on the homeland and you uh, bear, uh, even with some pride, not in a bad way, but in a good way, um, you know, the fact that you are, uh, no, your, your citizenship is in another place. And so we understand that from human experience. Um, and Paul is saying that this is, this is the reality for, for us as believers. Earth is not our home. Earth is a temporary place that we are passing through on our way to our true home, which is the Lord's presence, which is heaven. Uh, the lives of the patriarchs, they, they really exemplified this. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they beautifully illustrate the idea of being uh, temporary residents here on earth. And in the, the letter to the Hebrews in the 11th chapter, we have just this great paragraph that, that speaks of this very thing. Let me read to to you from uh, Hebrews 11, eight through 16. It begins by saying, by faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, Abraham is a, uh, a citizen of Chaldea in modern day Iraq. And yet God is gonna change his citizenship. He is gonna call him away from there and he's going to call him to uh, a place that he will inherit. And so Abraham goes out, it says, not knowing where, he's, where he was going. And then it says, by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. And then it says this, for he waited for the city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. And they, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So that was their confession. They were strangers and pilgrims. They were waiting for a city that has foundation, it says here, whose builder and maker is God. So in confessing that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth, those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, um, it says that they dwelt in tents. And it's interesting that their dwelling in tents was not out of um, necessity because there were no cities to live in. Um, as, as I mentioned, Abraham came from a place called Ur in Chaldea, which was a, a, an amazing city at the time. It was a very sophisticated city. Uh, archaeologists have discovered that there was a, uh, one of the massive... Uh, libraries from the ancient world was there in that city. So it wasn't that there were not cities and, and so they had no other option but to live in tents. But no, they chose to live in tents. They were Bedouins basically. And they chose this lifestyle as a statement. And what were they saying? They were saying that this place is not our home. That earth is not our uh, our country of citizenship. It's our temporary place of residence, but we're looking for a city, as it says here, that has foundations. And the idea is that it has firm and unmovable foundations whose builder and maker is God. So when Paul says to the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven, this is what he's talking about. That for us as believers, the earth is not our permanent residence. It's not the place of our citizenship. It is the place that we are temporarily passing through. But because we're temporarily passing through, we don't want to be like the enemies of the cross who set their mind on earthly things. 
You see, that's the contrast. Uh, the patriarchs set their mind on the city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The enemies of the cross set their mind on earthly things. In other words, the earth and the things of the earth, the things of this world, those were the priority. But the saints of old and the Philippians and us today know our citizenship is in heaven. Now, <coughs> with being citizens, um, citizenship brings with it three things. It brings privileges, it brings perks, and it brings responsibility. Um, now, in the, in the context that Paul is writing, of course, Roman citizenship was a highly coveted thing in Paul's day. And most of the people in the empire itself were not citizens. They were subjects of the empire. Very few people were citizens, but the citizens of Rome had tremendous privileges that the other people did not have. Now, Paul, ironically, Paul is actually a Roman citizen, even though he's a Jew, uh, but he was a Jew who was born in uh, the city of Tarsus, one of the great cities of the Roman Empire, and from birth, he had been a Roman citizen. And there's a story in the book of Acts where Paul um, is arrested for preaching. He's arrested by the Roman garrison. And they're about to um, lay the whip on him so they can get a confession out of him of, of why his speech caused such an uproar in Jerusalem. And just before they began to beat him, um, Paul asked this question. He said, is it lawful to beat a Roman citizen who is, um, who in other words, who hasn't gone through a trial. And all of a sudden, uh, the, the man with the whip stopped and paused and went over to uh, the captain of the guard and said, hey, we need to be careful. This, this guy's a Roman citizen. And so the captain of the guard, he goes to Paul privately and he says, he says are you really a citizen? And Paul says, yes, I really am a Roman citizen. So you see, he had uh, certain privileges as a Roman citizen. He couldn't just be taken and manhandled. He couldn't be taken and thrown into uh, a jail cell. He couldn't be taken and beaten. He, he had the privilege of uh, having the right to a trial. And he was, in a sense, uh, innocent until proven guilty. So he says to the captain, yes, I, I am a citizen. And the captain says this. He says, with a great sum of money, I purchased my citizenship. And Paul responds and he says, I was born a citizen. And so I'm, I'm telling the story just to illustrate that the, the captain says, I purchased the citizenship. It was so valuable. It was highly prized and it was costly. Paul says, I was born a citizen. So as a citizen, there are privileges. Of course, I am a citizen of the United States of America. And many of you are as well. Some of you are citizens of other countries. And you know, with our citizenship, there are certain privileges that come with being a citizen. Well, likewise, with our heavenly citizenship, there are certain privileges as well. And I wanna just talk for a moment about the privileges that we have. Think about it. As, as citizens of heaven, first of all, we are the subjects of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So our ruler, our leader, our king is the great king. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. So, you know, nations have rulers. There are still monarchies today in our world. There are presidencies. There are premierships, there are, you know, different political systems and different people in power and some are good and some are not so good and some are really bad. Uh, but the citizens of heaven, we have as our um, king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And the amazing thing is we have immediate and continual access to our king. Think about that. Now, let me clarify, of course, our king is the righteous king. Our king is, um, he's a loving king. He's a benevolent king. He, he is the king 
whose interest goes beyond himself, his interest is primarily in his subjects and the well-being of his subjects. And we know that because this king stepped down from his throne and came to earth and did the unthinkable. He gave his life for his subjects. So this is our king and we have immediate and continual access to our king. What a privilege. So as I mentioned, being a citizen of the United States, I certainly have some privileges um, that, that are wonderful privileges, but I don't have the access to people in power. I can't uh, go to Washington, D.C. And, and you know walk up to the White House and knock on the door and be welcomed in to share my concern or complaint. I can't go. I live in California. I can't go to uh, the seat of our government in uh, Sacramento here and, and again, go to the state house there and, and have immediate access. I, I've got privileges as a citizen, but not like that. But in our heavenly citizenship, we have access, continual access, 24-7, anytime we can come and bring our concerns before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we are guaranteed his protection and provision at all times. Isn't that amazing? We are guaranteed his protection and provision at all times. And God is committed himself to us. He is watching over us and he has all power and wisdom by which he guides the course of our lives to lead us safely home at the appointed time. And so even if things befall us that seem uh, to be something that is inconsistent with um, his provision or his protection, we can have the assurance that no, no, this is, this is all part of the plan as well. And God is gonna show himself in an even greater way through these things. And so we have these privileges. But you know, we also have perks. And you know, perks are, are different than privileges. Um, perks are, are just the, these, these little things that just are in some ways are incidental, but they make the privileges even better because we just get these, these little side benefits that come along. And, and this is amazing. As a citizen of heaven, as one who is a subject of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, one of the perks is that he favors us with his presence. So God, he comes alongside of us in a, in a very real, real way. And, and we sense that he's present with us. That's a perk. That, that's something that, that's, um, that's beyond just a privilege. That sense of God's presence with us. Uh, he speaks encouraging words into our hearts. God, God speaks to us. He, he talks to us. He gives us counsel as we open the Bible and as we read it, we find that these words are actually speaking to me. Or sometimes we don't even have our Bible open. Sometimes it's just God brings to us a word and that word is an encouraging word. You see, again, the, this is uh, part of the perks. Uh, he draws near, imparting his love, his joy, his peace into our lives. See, these are, these are all real experiences. And those who are the citizens of the kingdom, you know this. I know this. We might sometimes try to express this to somebody and they're thinking, wait, what are you talking about? God, God draws near you. you. What do you mean? You hear him. Uh, you feel his presence. What is that about? Well, it's, it's a real thing for those who are, are there in that place of citizenship. But you know, not only that, He works out a thousand little details in our daily sojourn. And, and this to me is one of the most amazing perks to just be able to go through life daily and to be able and, and to look and see, in a sense, you just see that God's fingerprints are, are all over so many things. You know, just yesterday, um, I had this, it's kind of a combination of both the encouraging word and, and just the, you know, thousand times a day, these, these little um, indicators that God is with you. But, but just yesterday, I was thinking 
Um, I was out for a little run and I was thinking about and praying about just the current situation with our, you know, our lockdown and, and all of those kinds of things and the, the conflicting information that's coming forth and, you know, all of that. And as I was sharing with a few people this past week, I, I, I kind of vacillate lately between frustration and faith. You know, I have these moments where I'm highly frustrated, where I'm thinking, does anybody even know what they're talking about? Because this, this group of scientists says this, and then this group says something that completely contradicts it. And, you know, these people say this. And, you know, so there's, there's a moment where you could, I, for myself, I just find myself getting really frustrated over this stuff. And, and so yesterday, even though the frustration level wasn't like it had been earlier in the week, I, I was thinking through that once again. I was thinking about all the different possible motivations that people might have for, you know, the various rules and things. And, and um, just earlier in the week, I had had the opportunity to share with our young adult ministry. And I was sharing with them from Paul's words um, where he says, he just speaks of himself as being the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, one thing to note really quickly, bit of a side note, but Philippians was written by Paul from prison. And it's, so was Ephesians. So to the Ephesians, Paul actually uses that language. He says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. So I was speaking to our um, young adult group and I was just reminding them about how Paul, even though technically, or from the human standpoint, he was the prisoner of Nero. And Nero was an, an incredibly corrupt politician. He was one of the most corrupt of the emperors. And the whole system by this time, the Roman system was a thoroughly corrupt system. And, and so Paul was unjustly accused and put in prison by Nero. But the amazing thing is he didn't see himself as a prisoner of Nero. He said, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And my point was, Paul was able to look past the immediate circumstance and know that because he was the servant of God and he was loved by God, that the position that he was in was allowed by God. He acknowledged the sovereignty of God. So I, I just shared this last week with, this, with the group and all this coming back around to yesterday when I was kind of going through my own mental gymnastics about a lot of this. And the Lord, in that way that I was talking about, just these encouraging words, just, it's almost like he just audibly spoke to me and said, Brian, but remember, Paul was a prisoner of Christ Jesus, not of Nero. And suddenly I thought, oh boy, Lord, I am busted. Sorry, I'm telling everybody else, you know, that they've got to look past the lockdown. They got to look past the people in charge. Uh, they got to look past, you know, the, the conflicting opinions and views and just know that God's in control. And it was, a, it was a, a mild rebuke from the Lord, but it was actually a very encouraging word because it just reminded me, yes, Lord, you are sovereign. You are the Lord. This, I can't control this lockdown. I can't do anything to um, you know, hasten the day when we can get back to a normal life. I, I, I can't do any of that, but I can just embrace the moment and go with um, what we've got before us right now. So that's one of the perks of being a citizen of the, of the king. It's one of the perks of having a relationship with the Lord. He speaks these words of encouragement to us that take the pressure and the burden and the fear and the anxiety off of us and bring things back into perspective. And so there are privileges, perks, and then, of course, with citizenship, there is also responsibilities. And so as citizens of heaven, we have certain responsibilities as well. And my responsibility is to live in a way that honors uh, our king and his kingdom, to live according to his laws that he has spelled out in the pages of scripture, uh, to live according to the values of the kingdom, you know, the, the values of um, the kingdom are, are those things that are the priorities for God and his kingdom, to live according to the culture of the kingdom. 
You know, every community, every society, uh, people groups, uh, you know, culture is, is the atmosphere that develops from the way people live. And so, or from the, uh, the traditions or uh, the laws or whatever, you know, the culture develops out of that. So when we think about living according to the laws of the kingdom and the values of the kingdom, you know, the, the priority there is love. Uh, the, great, the great law that trumps everything in the kingdom of God is the law of love. And so my responsibility then is to live um, in, in that way and to love the Lord my God with all my heart, to love my neighbor as myself. You know, going back to the current moment and some of the restrictions and things we have on us, uh, some people are saying, well, you know, this is uncomfortable. I don't want to do this. This is an infringement upon my rights. But we have to look beyond that a little bit. And we have to ask this question. What, what's, the, what, what's the thing God would have us to do? And we know about the laws. We know about the values. We know about the culture of the kingdom. And we know that undergirding all of that is love. So that's the way we need to navigate um, all of these things that we are currently in. And, and it's here that we are representatives of this kingdom uh, of which we are citizens. And then finally, in our responsibilities, there's also objectives. So there are the kingdom objectives. And the great objective is to advance the kingdom by seeing more people enter into this relationship with the Lord seeing more people get their kingdom citizenship. So that's part of my responsibility is to help that happen. And I help that by living out the laws and the values and the culture of the kingdom. So those are the privileges, the perks, and the responsibilities. Now, Paul says this, and this is our, our final point as we uh, come toward the end of our teaching here today. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Let me, let me read that in the um, New Living Translation. It says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So here's the great news. How, how is this kingdom that we are now a part of, this citizenship that we now possess, how is this going to manifest itself ultimately, it's going to manifest itself ultimately by the very king himself coming back. And so Paul says that we eagerly wait. We eagerly wait for the savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, here is the good news. And this is the great news for planet earth. Um, Christ is coming again. And through his power, he's going to bring everything under his control. And, and isn't that great news? And listen, let's not forget that this is, this is the ultimate goal of the coming of Christ into the world. Sometimes I talk to Christians today and um, I mean, you almost have like two extremes. You have those that are constantly thinking, um, Jesus is going to come back any second and they're obsessed with that to the point of their, they can't really do anything else because they're just thinking about that and they're talking about that and they're theorizing about it and speculating and all of that. Um, that's a problem. But then there's another problem. And I hear some Christians say, well, you know, it could be another thousand years before the Lord comes back. You know, I, I think we need to remember that the first coming was preparation for the second coming. And we've been waiting 2,000 years for the Lord to return. I mean, the apostles, when they wrote, they were expecting the Lord to come. They were thinking that it was gonna be even in their lifetimes. So I don't know when the Lord's gonna come back. Nobody does. But Paul here speaks of those who were eagerly awaiting his appearance. 
And that's the posture that we need to have. We need to be eagerly awaiting and we need to keep in mind that this is what everything is ultimately about. As glorious as his first coming was, it was foundational. It was to lay the foundation for him to come again and set up the kingdom. Now, I'm asked this question several times a week lately. The things that are going on, the COVID-19 and all of that, is that part of Bible prophecy? Does that mean that Jesus is coming um, any, any moment now? And the answer is no, not necessarily. The answer, number one, is no, it's not part of Bible prophecy specifically. And we don't know exactly when Jesus is going to return. But as we look at the whole situation, what we can say is that the, the Bible does give us a picture of the world that Christ will return to and the stage is being set. The world is being arranged in that kind of a way where I think we can safely say, even though we can't say specifically when the Lord's gonna come, we can safely say that, that things are, are lining up for that event to happen. So all that to say, let's not forget that what we call the second coming of Jesus is the objective. It's, it's, the, it's the purpose for which he came and thank God he's going to come and he's going to fix this tired, broken planet and he's going to bring uh, peace out of the, the chaos and the confusion. You know, C.S. Lewis said, human history is a long terrible story of man trying to find something other than God that will make him happy. And boy, we can say amen to that. Human history is the long, terrible story. It's a long, terrible story. And the story isn't getting any better under human leadership. We need the Lord to come back and to set up his kingdom. And Paul says he is going to do that very thing and he's going to transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. So when the Lord comes back, he is going to take our weak, frail, sick, and dying bodies, and he's going to instantaneously make them into a glorious body like his. See, when Jesus comes back, some people are going to be living on the earth. Believers are going to be living on the earth. And, and we're going to be instantly transformed into the image of Christ fully and completely. And of course, those who have gone before us, those who have died, as we say, their bodies are going to be raised up and be made like his glorious body. And this is the promise that we have as the citizens of heaven. Heaven is coming to earth and it's coming to earth in the return of Jesus Christ. And then everything will be set right. Paul's whole emphasis here is let's keep our eyes fixed on heaven. Now, some people say, you know, these Christians, they're, they're so heavenly minded. They have just become no earthly good. But you know, the truth is, the more heavenly minded a person is in the truest sense, the more earthly good you will become. And history proves it. It's the people who were most focused on heaven that did the best uh, for life here on earth. Think of the, the great uh, missionaries, the great educators and doctors and you know the people that went out and brought the gospel and, and brought health and hope and deliverance and life to cultures of death. And they did it not because they were focused on the things of the earth. Had they been focused on the things of the earth, they never would have left their comfort zone to go to these seemingly God-forsaken places. But that's exactly what they did. And so we are eagerly waiting for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies and make them like his glorious body. You know, as we are currently faced with death in a way that I don't think we have been in the past, although uh, if you look at the statistics, many 
thousands upon thousands of people die annually of the flu and things like that. Um, uh, to date, nobody has uh, given us a daily record of, of deaths. But because of the uh, novel coronavirus, we are getting daily reports. I can go to my uh, Twitter feed every day. I've got a global and a US uh, accounting of the number of deaths. And so we, we've got this all before us. And this, of course, causes us to long more and more for um, that, that deliverance from our frail and our weakened and our death-destined bodies. And that's what Jesus did. He conquered death. And so he's going to take by his power, it says here, by the power that he has to subject everything to himself, it's that power that he's going to bring to bear even upon our bodies and so that they are transformed and made like his glorious body. Now, because of the, the scent of death in the air, um, many people have been awakened to the reality of their own uh, vulnerability. And so I heard, I heard this um, atheist, uh, lifelong atheist, uh, giving sort of her testimony about how through the coronavirus she has come to put her faith in Christ. But she said two things suddenly became crystal clear to her. Number one was she had absolutely no control over her life. And secondly, she had no power to resist death. Now, of course, these things were true before the coronavirus ever showed up, but she didn't realize it because she wasn't faced on a daily basis with her own mortality. But as she's suddenly faced with her own mortality, she realizes, I, I don't have any power over these things. I don't have any ability to resist. And so it was through that that she reached out and received Christ. She responded to the gospel. Somehow she, somebody shared with her, she maybe knew from childhood or something, but she knew to cry out to the Lord. And people are turning to Christ in, I think, probably unprecedented numbers today. People are turning to Christ, responding to the gospel. And what they're doing is they're receiving, among other things, but to keep with our point today, they're receiving heavenly citizenship. They're becoming the citizens of heaven. And if, if you have already done that, if you've got your heavenly passport, so to speak, you say, yeah, I, I'm a citizen of heaven. I, uh, I came and Christ received me and I, I am a child of God and I've been a child of God. I, I wanna say to you, um, rejoice in your privileges and um, enjoy your perks, but don't forget your responsibilities. And now's the time to live responsibly as citizens of the kingdom. Now, if, if perhaps you're not yet a citizen of the heavenly kingdom, here's the amazing thing. You have an invitation. God is offering you to become a citizen. You know, I've met a number of people over the years who have lived in other countries, sometimes even in third world types of situations, very desperate, very difficult. They've, they've wanted to, to get out of their country because of the hardship. They've maybe known somebody in the United States or in some way they had in their mind, if, if I could just get to the United States, but it's never gonna happen. And I've talked to at least a half a dozen people who actually won a lottery in their country to come and to obtain US citizenship. And every single one of them that I've talked to about that uh, they have told me that that was the greatest uh, opportunity that had ever come to their lives and how thankful they were that that opportunity was given to them and that they now were, um, in this case, American citizens. And listen, as wonderful as that would be uh, to be a, a citizen of a great nation, whatever nation it might be, um, to be a citizen of the kingdom of Christ is incomparable. There's nothing like it because it's a righteous kingdom, because it is a kingdom of love and joy and peace, and because it is an everlasting kingdom. And here's what the gospel is. The gospel is God's invitation to you uh, to have citizenship in his kingdom.
And so through Jesus Christ, you can become a citizen of the kingdom of God by simply reaching out to Jesus today, by saying to him, Lord, I want that citizenship. And in doing so, acknowledging that you have sinned, that you have rebelled even against his kingdom, but you want to lay down your arms and you want to have peace and you want to accept that free gift of citizenship that he's giving you. And you know, if that's you today, if you're watching, watching if you're tuning in, um, then I want to encourage you to simply reach out in faith with a prayer like this. Just say, Lord Jesus, I recognize you're the King of Kings. I also admit that I'm a sinner. I thank you that you came to pay a debt for me that I could not pay. And I receive that forgiveness and, and I receive that offer of citizenship. And I joyfully um, enter into your kingdom, your heavenly kingdom, and I thank you. So if, if you've said something like that in your heart, um, if you want to take some time and maybe get by yourself and just get on your knees and just talk to God, but know this, as you open your heart to Christ, as you ask him to be your Lord and Savior, he will come in and he will give you the gift of eternal life. And you can have the guarantee that life does not end here with the breaking down and dissolving of the body, but it goes on into eternity with a new glorified body like the one that Jesus himself has. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless. I pray that you would draw to yourself those that um, need to come to you today. I pray that you would help them to make that decision right now, this moment. And Lord, I pray for myself and for uh, the rest of us who are citizens already. Lord, help us to uh, just be thankful for the privileges, to be joyful for the perks, and help us to be um, faithful with the responsibilities. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.